Our guest today is Jake Liddell. Is it Liddell or Liddell? Liddell. Liddell. And here at Businesses Personal, in our community, we've built a community of 100 experts around the world, and we like to interview them and find out their area of expertise and talk it through and share that into the community and share that onto LinkedIn and the LinkedIn page. And I'm covering for Penny, who had about a food poisoning last night from something we ate. So I'm covering to fill in. So welcome, Jake. Thank you very much. Now, Jake, just give us a little bit of a background profile on you. OK, OK, so um... tell us tell us how you got the, the knowledge that you've got. It's sort of a, a combination of things. I started off. Um, doing computer science at university and just because I took a year out prior to university playing around with computers at ICL and I thought well I don't really know what I want to do so I'll do that um, and so the first sort of half of my career was formed around just following that path um, being a software developer and then being a project manager and a program manager and a test manager and a salesperson all within enterprise IT um, and as I got older, I started to get a lot more sort of interested in business growth, entrepreneurialism, um, moving away from the slow speed at which enterprises move and more to the agile approaches that were both becoming more pervasive in project management, but also that you find in small businesses. And when, so, when did the agile movement get underway? I think if you tested it goes all the way back to the 60s but it sort of really started picking up steam in the late 90s okay. so things like uh peer programming and and scrum and stuff like that agile methodologies that we're more commonplace now so they've been around 30 years oh well 20 years at least you know in terms of popular usage but they go back further that you know so so interestingly um you know agile project management was talked about in the late 60s and it was only by an accident, really, that we ended up with Waterfall as the standard project management delivery. Um, it's, it's a highly risky approach and, uh, and actually not one that we should really be recommending. Uh, more of a hybrid is where we, where we should be sitting, really, agile and Waterfall you know, combined. OK, but yeah, so that was all my background. You know, when did you come out of university? Um, graduated 94. Okay, so you came out in the thick of the emergence of these new techniques. So, so the interesting so thing was... You were, an early, you were an early adopter of... Yeah, very much so. It was just sort of right place, right time. You know, I, I the internet was invented in 1989, I think. And in 1991, when I first joined uh, the computer science department at Bristol, um, they were exploring things like HTML, you know, building web pages. And so... I built my first web page in 1991. So, so I've seen the whole of the internet, really, in terms of technology progress. Oh, so you've had, well, you're now in your, that makes this your 32nd year of, of, of the interweb. Of, of coding HTML. We're still doing it. <laughs> well, so you've, you've, had, you've had more of your life online than offline. Yeah, which um, if you're younger than me is easy to say, you know, so if you talk to my children, then they've 
spent their entire life online but um but yeah i've i've done the whole of the internet almost <laughs> so if you've a generate typically a generation is 30 years isn't it so you've you've effectively lived a generation on the internet yeah how would you how would you summarize a couple of things really what it's what it's taught you and how it's changed your behavior so the, 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 the learnings, the teachings, and then the actual change of behavior. I'm very interested in behavior change, what makes people actually change, as opposed to, yeah, I've learned that, but I'm not going to change. I think if you combine the subject that I've been involved with, if we call it broadly the internet, yep. and the industry that I've, in, I've been involved with, which is developing technology change, um, I've only ever lived in a culture of having a go and seeing if we can make it do something new, something different, something better, something exciting. And, you know, even if we go back to my year before university, I was actually working for a team of about 40 or 50 of the, the best uh, inventors in International Computers Limited, which became Fujitsu. These were basically your typical rocket scientists who were locked away in a private office space of their own where they could mess around, break things, explode things at times. And, and I had to work and try and keep all the systems running for them so they could do that. And so I've, I've always been in a culture of let's have a go. Let's, let's see if we can break it, put it back together, do it in a different way. And and that makes me fairly fearless about having a go. And I think that, um, you know, when we move on to the topic of conversation today, um, it's all about as a business owner and a business manager, having that willingness to have a think about how you can do things better. So, okay, so that's a good, that's a good lead in, Jake. So take us through then. The subject, your area of expertise is automation. Yeah. And we've been listening to that word for certainly 60 years, perhaps perhaps longer, but certainly 60. Yeah. How, have, how after the end of that 30 years of being on the internet, you've ended up with one word, automation, as your area of expertise. Tell us, first of all, how you ended up with that that word as your area of expertise and also what does it mean so for me um automation in its broadest sense is having the ability to have something done automatically yeah so um by automatically i think in this context we're talking about a human being not actually having to do it um, and you're right, if you go back 60 years, we're probably talking about, you know, early machines. You could go back perhaps a long way further than that. You could even go back to the Industrial Revolution and things like the, you know, the first loom that, that wove fabric instead yeah. of it having to be hand woven. The spinning jenny. Yeah, is, is automation, isn't it? It's automation. It's, be, it's being able to utilise some sort of machine, some sort of system in order to preferably do things faster than we are otherwise, potentially better quality, but maybe not so. 
Um, but but definitely there's some sort of benefit to using the automation as opposed to not using it. And if we look back at those the early... Word isn't, the word isn't from the Industrial Revolution, is it? It didn't begin then, did it? I don't know. I don't know where the word came from. Automatic, automatically, automation. Um, something that I is automatic. When it was born, that word. I hope somebody will tell us that on the thread. And, and how have you... When, when you think about your area of expertise settling down on automation, why did you choose to settle down on, on being an expert in automation? I think it's because of the potential. Um, I get excited by potential. And, you know, even back when I was writing my first pieces of software, um, yes, the software was trying to do something automatically and, and back then it was in banking and so the the use of computers in systems for banking they were ultimately replacing manual systems I mean you remember pieces of paper called checks that was a very manual process and those checks were read by human beings before the advent of a printed slip thing on the bottom and and even then that they would still have to be read by human beings to work out what the amount was until computers could actually work out what the amount was. Um, so it is all about automation. It is all about doing something that the human was otherwise doing, but it was really expensive. You know, it was if we're talking about you know a new payment system, we might be talking about one million pounds, two million pounds. That's just the fee for the software. If you talk about the cost of implement, implement, implementation, sorry, implementation, you might add another five million pounds in terms of time elapsed for all of the teams around it to test, to implement, to practice the operations, to have disaster sites so that things would carry on working. You know, the costs are, are massive. And what we've seen over the last, I would say, 15 years is those costs coming down, 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 down to the point where automation is in some cases free. And that's what's exciting because that means that you don't have to be a company the size of uh, Glaxo Welcome or BP or Barclays Bank in order to consider these large scale automations and systemizations of their process you can be a brand new business that has just started yesterday with one member of staff and that's you and you can you can make massive use of what i'm terming automation okay so look take us through it then because that sounds exciting you're saying you don't have to be big you can be small you can be tiny you can be a one-man band you can be more efficient where where do you start? Where do you begin? How do you how do you know what you want to automate? Because there's so many processes in organisations. Where's the starting yeah. point? So I think a, a term that I mentioned to you in the past was having this automation mindset. And yes. that's something which you have to train yourself to have as a business owner. Um, one of the, I mean, there's a number of different quotes around the same theme, which is you don't know what you don't know. And as a business owner, that can be a real problem, because if you're not aware of what the potential is, 
then you can't start evaluating whether that potential is applicable to you, what would be the implications, both positive and negative. If you're not even aware that it can happen, then you can't build into your business development processes. You can't build it into your planning, your ideation, which I think is a horrible word, but people call it that these days, which you know, we'd have called it brainstorming, you know, business planning. Um, it's about becoming familiar with the kind of things that computers make possible today. And unfortunately- But have you got to think, have you got to think when you say an, an automation mindset, have you got to think about everything? Can I automate that? Can I automate you've got, that? You've got to just I... open your eyes and be inquisitive, exactly. So it's both asking questions about what can be done um, so maybe a bit later, we might talk about AI, which seems to be exploding all over the press at the moment. But but yes, that is a whole, yes, you know, this, this is almost a, something that proves that this is not a fixed target. The world moves very quickly. And so the mindset that I'm sort of talking about is almost embracing that change, that rapid change that's happening. And then also asking yourself a question, which is, I seem to be, have I done this before? Am I going to do this again? Because if the oh, answer I see. That's good. yes to both of those two questions, Automated. have I done this before? Am I going to have to do this again? Then it could be a candidate. It's not not necessarily, but it could be a candidate for some automation to to help the process along. It could okay, also so be a candidate go, when you go into a small business. Presumably you do some kind of analysis, some kind of audit on what the current systems do. And then you come up with a plan of what could be improved, enhanced, speeded up, yeah. removed, dropped and so on. What what's that? What do you call that uh, analysis audit process? Of, of I think I think you you don't have to put a label on it um, because it could be just me and you as a business owner having a chat about what you do. It might be a half an hour chat. And we might establish some of the things that give you a headache at the moment that you yeah. give you a headache. It could yeah. be something more formal, like a proper sort of due diligence of what you're currently doing, which might take two or three days worth of time where you actually do a deep dive. And and in some way, if you're the business owner and you fancy embarking on that kind of thought process, you just break your business into the key chunks. And I would argue that most businesses only have four key chunks. Um, the first one is marketing, which is basically for the definition that I'm going to use is enabling people to know you exist. It's very hard to buy from someone if they don't know you exist. So marketing is all about enabling that they know you exist. Then the next yep. chunk is sales, which yep. is taking it from a point where they know you to exist to actually to a point where they've decided to buy your product, your service, whatever it is that you offer. So marketing, sales, delivery. So whatever it is you do, if, if it's a product, it might be simply putting it in a box and sending it out the door. Um, if it's a service, then it might be a proper process that you take somebody along and you deliver this service or this piece of value. And then finally, you've got the finance at the end, which is making sure you get paid and all of the regulatory and administration tasks that go around the finance department, reconciling payments, 
checking that DDs are in place, making sure that the accounts are proper to, properly accounted for and submitted and all that kind of stuff. So you've got a whole bunch of admin, then you've got your core delivery, and then you've got your marketing and sales at the front end. And if you were to just, you know, have a thought experiment and just jot down, you know, the top 10 things that pop into your head that you have to do in each of those boxes, then you'd have a start, wouldn't you, to, to actually start thinking, well, you know, which of these things have we got nailed on? Is it easy? Do we feel that it's easy? It's well-defined. It's not taking up too much time. You know, we, we're not worried about that. Which of the areas do we suspect that either we haven't defined it well enough because we're just randomly doing it differently every time, or we know what we're doing, but it's a bit painful and mistakes are made or we can't track it properly we don't have visibility or maybe we know we're doing it well but there's a lot of human process in it which means a lot of cost yeah because let's, let's face it humans are expensive yes i like it i like the way you communicate it and oh i wish it was so simple marketing sales delivery and finance but i know i know it is but you know when you see businesses they're not as simple as that. I, I think if you ask the you... average business owner what their biggest problem was, it would be in one of those in oh, one okay. of those boxes. And if you were to solve that problem, another problem would pop up. But you can't necessarily predict what that problem will be, because solving oh, one problem creates another. Exactly that. It's, it's like a pipe, and the the flow through the pipe is only as fast as the narrowest section of the pipe and so you know fix your marketing you might screw sales but if sales is actually okay then you might screw delivery but if delivery is okay and marketing is okay you might go bust because of your cash flow it's business is never going to not have problems it's just about making the pipe wider gradually over time so is your expertise jake is it is it deliberately seeking out opportunities to automate it's what i enjoy doing it's what i enjoy doing so the reason i've so ended you're up like a sort of a you're hunting for gaps aren't you you're hunting you're hunting for i, I mean there's a there's a, a thing that happens when you put in place a piece of automation and it when when somebody sees it working well it often gives them a little lift in their heart because they see something yeah, that. that was potentially boring, time-consuming and error-prone is now not even visibly happening apart from the outcome is happening, as in you don't feel any of the pain that you used to have. It's just done. And, you know, it brings us on to the point, which is that there are things that computers are better than humans at. And there are things that humans are better than computers at. And so we're not trying to automate everything because the things that humans are better than computers at are actually really tricky to automate. But, but there's some stuff, all that busy work that so many businesses do, which they should not. And it's both a potential benefit to the business, but it's also a risk because let's take Let's take an industry as an example, and it's an information heavy industry, accountancy. And there's vast quantities of moving data around in accountancy. 
And it used to be done with the classic sort of folder or shoebox. So you'd get your business owner to bung all their pieces of paper in the shoebox. You'd come and collect it and you'd wade through it and try and decipher what the hell is going on. And a lot, I suspect there's a lot of businesses that are still operating in that way, even though we've got all of this, you know, uh, HMRC wanting to go electric. That doesn't mean that the beginning process is not is is electric. That can still be pieces of paper, God knows what, but it needs to eventually be submitted automatically. But let's go even further. Do you not think that computers are going to be able to work out through modeling and through teaching how to do accounting? So if I if I've got a receipt from Costa, what do you think that goes down to? Subsistence? It's a coffee, isn't it? I mean, what else could it be? Now, that means that every single receipt that I ever generate, whether that's paper or whether that's electronic, from Costa is, is now um, accounted for, which means that a bookkeeping job is probably 80%, 90% things that we already know, which means that I've now cut out 90% of the workload of a bookkeeper. Now, if I was running a bookkeeping company, I'd want to be very aware of that because it's not that your job is going to be outsourced to India. It's not going to exist. And that's quite frightening. But show me a unless computer. You, unless you offer that. Unless you offer the service that a human can do better than a computer. And or, so now, or you offer the service of the computer. To, and, and also because business owners may not know how to fully utilize all of that. So if you embrace what's happening, it's going to happen anyway, but you've got two choices. You can either fight it or you can embrace it. And if you embrace it, your life will be easier because much of what you do will be automatic. You can spend more time on the things that actually customers value, customer service, helping a business owner to understand how to run their business. All of that kind of stuff is the stuff, you know, when you switch accountants, you switch because they do all of the regulatory stuff, but they don't do anything proactively. And then you talk to an accountant, well, I've got the time, you know, I've got so much stuff to do. So yes. if you That's get the true. computers to do the stuff that computers are good at, then it frees us humans up to do the stuff that we're good at. And there's actually valued, you know, people are prepared to pay more for an accountant that can do that thinking and working with the business owner. So, you know, is it a threat? Is it a weakness? Is it an opportunity? I don't, you know, it's, it's all of these things. It just is. Jack, take us through, take us through the tools. What, what tools, what tools, assuming you've, you've done the analysis, you've found the gaps, you've seen opportunities to, to automate, to take waste out of the process. What, what happens then? What are the tools that you deploy? So the first thing I would do is, is look at what tools are currently being used. Yep. Yeah, because there, there'll be certain tools in an organization where it would actually be a deal breaker if they couldn't use that tool. Of so course. so let's say, you know, let's say you were um, you had a CRM system, but you were a recruitment company. So a recruitment company has a CRM system, but it's very specific to recruitment. It, it needs to handle not just a traditional sales pipeline, which might be the clients that a recruitment company has, but it also has to handle the matching with a vast database of candidates. So they might not want to just 
chuck that in the bin and choose something else. So you've got to you've got to look at the business and say, so if you were already using zero, I can't suddenly say, well, you know, in order to automate it, it's much better if you use free agent. So sometimes we have to look at the tools that are currently on the ground, look at how they're being used and to make decisions based on how core they are to the system, how much pain would it be to change them? And so we, we, we look at all of that. And then we also look at how well these tools interface with the tools that make automation possible. So there are a number okay, of- A lot of these tools are point, are point solutions, aren't they? They're not necessarily- they are. But over time, they have been progressing. So they've all been building what programmers call an API, application programming interface. And the platforms have latched onto that API to enable non-programmers to do things in a more business logical way rather than having to actually write code. And so, you know, you might have one accounting package which allows us to do certain things and another accounting package because their API is richer allows us to do a lot more. And so we have to take a pragmatic view. We're not trying to automate everything. We're using the Pareto principle, 80-20. Let's look at where the real manual stuff is going on. Let's try and find some really quick wins that are both easy to implement and are going to have a big effect. Yeah. Yeah. And so so there's no one size fits all here. Um, you know, if you don't have any favorite tools or favorite. I, like a favorite I do. Like yeah. That. But um, but I don't suggest that you all busily switch to them. You know, so, for example, you know, I've got a particular favorite tool at the moment that does my day to day task management. It's called Motion. But it's bloody useless for automation. Because it doesn't have an API. And the reason I'm sticking with it is because they've promised that it's going to be launched in a couple of months. Oh, so you like it enough to wait? Yeah. I, what I love about it is it is it actually uses a version of AI to automatically schedule all of my little tasks around the tasks that I can't change. So if and I'm having a conversation, motion, motion, yeah, motion with an N or an N, yeah. So the I think the URL is use motion, U-S-E-M-O-T-I-O-N. Okay, so that's worth people making a note of. Yeah, well, now, is it, isn't it? I don't know. I love tools. If you've got a, a tool that you love, I wouldn't switch to that one until this API exists because we can't do much with it. But I love it. The way um, you describe it all, Jake, it all sounds very um, exciting, uh, tantalizing, so almost, dare I say, sexy, the thought of removing tasks that are automated. Where does it all go wrong? What are the downsides? Where where can things cock up? So imagine you've implemented something and it really works. You know, it's fantastic. It's really working for you. And then it goes out of sight, out of mind, because you're now relying on it. But you haven't thought about how do you monitor it? And so you didn't build any automation into monitoring it. You didn't build any escalation points should failures happen. And now things aren't happening and you don't know why, because you don't even know that they're not happening because you rely upon it so much. And now you find yourself having not done the thing that you should have done for the last two weeks until somebody screams at you. And so if you just 
charge headlong into this without thinking that kind of thing through as you're building your automation, you know, how will I monitor it? How will I know whether it's happening or not? Do I know and understand enough to be able to fix it when it goes wrong? These are the things that you, you have to consider. And so just in the well, same way. Give me, an example. give me an example of something that you would automate, forget about, and then fail to monitor, and then it would come back to bite you. Be, well, imagine that you example? imagine you wrote a little bit of uh, automation so that every time a go cardless direct debit mandate was cancelled, or every time a client put in place a, a direct debit mandate, and you you wrote this, so the client onboarding kicks off automatically when they put the direct debit in place, or there's a series of chaser emails that go out to the client the moment that direct debit is cancelled. And because it's no longer a manual process, you used to do that manually. You, know, you used to actually go into Go Cardless and put in place the request for the mandate, and then you'd monitor it and check that they've done it and you'd chase them up. But you've now really embraced this technology. You no longer have to do either of those tasks. So what happens if a direct debit mandate is canceled and a human being is not checking? Well, if there's some automation that is not running, you are not chasing that debt. And therefore, you're postponing the recovery of that money that is owed to you by two or three weeks. You know, so it is any of this automation. If you're automating a core part of your business, you need a mechanism to know whether it's working. And so thinking that through. Well, that's is, the scary bit, isn't it? It, it can be. Yeah, because you might find it's been a month or two and, and it, this thing that you thought was happening especially in small businesses where you're so busy doing all these other things that you have to do, it's very easy to take your eye off the ball and miss that you have missed something. You know, it's it's a tricky thing. Sometimes this stuff can go wrong spectacularly. Um, I've been working with a, with a bit of automation that synchronizes a, a Google calendar and an Outlook calendar. And you'd think that'd be relatively simple. But... It's not simple because of recurring tasks, but also there's a bug. There's a bug at the moment and it's not fixed. And as a result, it creates thousands of tasks, which explodes your automation account. And you oh, need to and know it hits that. your subscription limit. It, it hits, luckily, there are blocks in the way, so they don't just charge you for all of the tasks, but it literally floods your entire account with all of these tasks that are not running because of a bug. And so we have to remember that, you know, software and computers does need a resource that is on hand to help keep them on the straight and narrow. Um, now, back in the old days, you'd actually be writing custom code. So you'd actually have to have software developers to help you. Whereas I would say it's more akin these days to perhaps an IT support company, you know, where you might, everyone's quite happy to have an IT support company to look after the PCs. Um, in the same way, you sort of need a support service to look after the automation, unless you really enjoy it, in which case you can do it yourself. But but nevertheless, it needs to be done by someone, because otherwise you'll just find yourself, you know, if you paid me money to implement a bunch of automations for you, and then you said, see you, Jake, and everything's swimming until it's not, and then Jake's busy doing something else, well, your business is now in a hole and you don't quite know what the solution is to that hole. You know, you have to sort of 
panic and and solve it some way. So Jake, so, you're good at I've concluded that you're good at titillation, tantalization, uh excite excitement and scarce and scaring the hell out of people. Let me uh, let let me jump to you mentioned it earlier uh, about AI, um, which I don't know whether this is naive, but AI sounds like a posh word for automation. Um, it's it's definitely got automation um, at its heart um, in the broadest sense of the word. You know, artificial intelligence is is basically being able to, you know, interact with a computer perhaps in a way that we're unused unused to doing. And the computer being able to do things that perhaps we're as surprised as humans that it can, you know. So but it might be something. This example, haven't we? Um, late last year, December, November, December, we had OpenAPI launch this thing called GPT three, this kind of chat bot. Yep. Um, we've all had a play on it, and it's very clever. What What is OpenAPI GPT, and what is it just a stepping stone or is this actually a serious breakthrough that we've I think, I think everything is a stepping stone because they had a version two of the engine before, didn't they? And that was good, but not as good. And I guess, you know, it has been quite a jump in terms of what this this engine can do. But a million people went and used it in a, in a week. Yeah, they were excited by it. So that yeah, must be pretty good. Yeah. What would people... What would listeners, viewers? So imagine, imagine you're a business owner. GPT three four. And imagine you're a business owner and you want to write a sales letter. Yep. So this sales letter is going to go out to a prospect. Might be a cold prospect. Might be a warm prospect. Um, you could actually, instead of writing it yourself, or instead of paying a marketer like myself to write it for you, you could ask the engine to write you a sales letter. And if you're somebody who's not great at writing, and there's millions of us out there, um, the idea of a blank page, and if I told you, please write a sales letter for your business, it fills them with dread. But actually, they can go to this interface and they can say, please write me a sales letter for my carpet cleaning business, and it will produce a sales letter and that sales letter will be surprisingly good and so even it's a writing aid it can be it can be many other things too it can be an aid to brainstorming so you know please give me 10 ways in which i could use my website to help promote my business and then you could review the answers that come back and the ones you've already done you can tick off and the ones that you haven't might be good ideas so it's it's a way of rapid research, rapid idea assimilation. But how would you, Thomas, if you paid me as a marketer to write you a sales letter, how would you feel if I gave you a sales letter and it had been generated by that tool? This an is a really, it's an interesting this, one, isn't it? Because it's very difficult. This because maybe it was a really good sales letter. So why do you good, do I do I care that it was written by a machine? I don't know. Do you? Imagine you came to me to build you to do all of the copyright. Well, who owns the website. IP? Who owns the copyright of of the word? Is it is it, is there any copyright here if a machine writes the words? I suspect if I was a small marketing agency, I would have given you the the copyright, or I would have at least given you a a, a license to use it. Um, 
what if a student goes to GPT and says, uh, oh, can you write me my 2000 word essay yep. on, uh, on the future of artificial intelligence? And boom, out it comes in five minutes. Is that so that's there's, not real work? There's a couple of interesting things that are going on. There are um, a, a raft of companies springing up with offerings that are basically able to identify whether content has been machine generated. Um, the problems are that they often don't. Um, you get false positives and false negatives. So that will get better over time. What does that mean? So a false negative is that I am a student and I wrote it all myself. You run it through your plagiarism detector and it says Jake copied all of this. And actually I didn't. So that's a false negative. And a false positive is, is the opposite of that, where, where essentially I did use a tool to generate it, but you missed it. So I was able to submit words that were computer generated and the, the detector couldn't detect that it was. The detector thought it, and so as the AI improves, that is gonna be, it's gonna be harder and harder to detect. But then there's another thing that's coming in called uh, AI watermarking, I think. So the content that oh. is generated has a way in which it can be reverse engineered that it came from this particular engine um, through certain language patterns, certain word usages. Um, so they're going to have to check that in, uh, in universities, aren't they, for people who attempt to automate Either that, or maybe maybe the um, the method of in, uh, assessing intelligence by getting somebody to work on an essay from home is outdated. Yeah, that's that's what because it's it's. I'm starting to remember 1976, and we were allowed to use a calculator for sine, cosine, and tan, rather than using those log tables going around. Yeah, like that. exactly. Exactly. It just means that we we have to evolve as as we did then. Yeah, with, with, but I've seen I've seen an interesting article about a chap who was renewing his Adobe subscription on his annual license on one of his software uh, products that he was using, and he sent in the OpenAPI GPT chatbot to do the negotiation with the Adobe chatbot itself, and he'd phoned up and he'd been offered a deal of five hundred dollars for his annual renewal. He sent in the chatbot to do the no negotiation. The chatbot got $297 and a three-month free period and some swag coming through the post. So he thought, well, if I can, if I can nice. get GPT to do my negotiation with my suppliers, then are we, are we looking at, at a world where bots are talking to bots? So buyer bots are talking to supplier bots about how to get better deals from one another. Is that... It sounds like a bit of a joke, that, but I, I think it'll happen. It work. Yeah, I think it'll happen. Um, you know, which, it, is all, which is leading us all the way back to automation. It, it does. I mean, at the moment, we can already do this manually. We could literally go to the website and say, please write me an email to negotiate a discount on XYZ. And it would write the email. All you've got to do is cut and paste it and send it. Now, that tool has got an API. So therefore, you could, if it's something you're going to do regularly, it could be something that you could build a system around it so that that generation of the email was automatic and then the sending was automatic. The, the question is, you know, 
at what point does the the system break down? At what point do they stop sounding human? At what point are they not able to make the right decision when the replies come back? At what point do they accept the offer? At what point do they not accept the offer? So it, it's complicated. And for most well, you businesses... Could, you could do as part of your automation service, you could you could decide which parts of a business could use open API GPT and which parts were irrelevant. You could, you could actually I, I manage could. implement um, all of that, couldn't you? And I wouldn't necessarily get it right because it's such a fast-moving space. No, you know, your, there are... your attempt would be much higher quality than the average Joe, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I always said the average Jake there, but that wouldn't have been... That would have been... It would. So, and there so are things you... being done right now that people are not aware of. So, for example, you can, and I've watched people do it live in real time, you can ask the open API to write code that will then interface with a uh, an exchange and track the mm. dollar to GBP FX rate and trade against it trade on it against a set of parameters and people are back testing and it's basically making money and rather than wow. it being on foreign know, exchange trading yeah rather than it being goldman sachs who's got some special algorithm that's being written by a load of quants this is essentially if you wanted to do it you watch the youtube video you have a go yourself and there you go you've built your own fx trading system entirely from just stuff that was generated by um chat gpt which is quite so, amazing isn't it you know you it's are just... you are clearly an expert it is amazing you are clearly an expert what people want to know as as an expert who's out there in the market and a member of the bit 100 communities how do people get in touch with you what's the easiest way for people to chat with you um, what do you like um i'm on linkedin so anybody can approach me there um, I'm quite happy to give you my email address, which is jake, J-A-K-E, at clientmachine.co.uk. Clientmachine.co.uk. Co.uk. And if they don't want to chat with me, but they just like to keep up with bits and bobs around automation specifically, then if they go to clientmachine.co.uk slash automatic business. Yes then they can sign up and I won't mail them about other stuff. It's going to be a list of, you know, stuff that I find interesting. So it might be product reviews, service reviews. It might be uh, tutorials about, you know, how do I link this with that? And it might be general philosophical discussion on this kind of stuff. Very good, Jake. Believe it or not, that is our 45 minutes. Wow. Time flies. Time flies, and uh, I really, I really, I really did enjoy that. What I like the most about you, Jake, is the way you communicate so clearly about what is a scary subject for a lot of small business entrepreneurs like us. Um, whereas we, as you say, we want all the headaches and pains to disappear, and as much automation as we can um, tolerate, that allows us to spend more valuable time with our with our suppliers and our clients to create yeah. more value. And I think automation has the possibility to do that as long as you go into it with um, a proper awareness of all of the headaches that you're trying to eliminate. 
because if you if you're aware of all of them, then um, you'll put in place something that is robust and is manageable. Um, if you go into it a little bit too casually, um, then you'll discover some of the benefits, but you'll miss some of the problems that are lurking further down the line. Fantastic. That's a great wrap. So for everyone listening or who's out walking, listening to this podcast on their ears, it's Jake, J-A-K-E, Liddell, L-I-D-D-E-L-L, Jake Liddell. Thank you, everyone, and That's have me. a wonderful day. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Penny, as well. See you. Bye-bye.